Welcome, everybody, and thank you for joining me today on Hashtag No Limits. I'm your host, Shelly Kino. Hashtag No Limits is about people that society puts limits on, but who have busted through those limits. Ophelia said in Hamlet, we know who we are, but not who we will be. I believe this to be true, and that there is no better example of this than the caterpillar turning into the butterfly. The caterpillar literally dissolves and its cells reform into a butterfly. I'm, I'm really curious to find out someday who watched that the very first time and went, oh my gosh, because <laughs> I would not think that looking at a butterfly, I mean, looking at a caterpillar, that it would magically transform into a butterfly. And when that caterpillar turns into the butterfly, it has to struggle to get out of the cocoon in order to make its wings strong enough in order to be able to fly. I can't imagine that this is an easy process, but neither is breaking through the limits that society has set upon us. Just like the caterpillar though, we have to believe in ourselves and we will be able to accomplish more than others might think. If we have a support system around us to encourage and facilitate that growth, even better. One area where I have seen limits is on children and families who move around. And sometimes um, those families also have children with special needs, which makes it that much more difficult. And on top of that, our guest today was a military family. Um, now she is no longer. So this is Holly. She's a fellow, fellow master IEP coach, a mother and a dog lover. So Holly, thank you for, and welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. She's joining us from sunny Florida today. So you can see she's wearing a t-shirt and I'm in Southern Illinois and I'm wearing a sweatshirt. So <laughs> a little bit you different. Tell, but I'm, I'm sweating quite a bit. It's quite hot here today. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, good for you. Not so great for me. Actually good for me because I like the cold weather. So I'm happy that we're into fall and getting out of the heat. So yeah. tell us, <laughs> tell us more about you and your family. Um, so I met my husband about 10 years ago and, um, you know, all things with military, you know, there's always a, could be a sudden up and move. Um, and unfortunately when I met him, he was getting ready to move again and we just sort of fell in love and took the plunge, got married after a couple of months. And I followed him from Florida where I've been born and raised, um, up to Virginia where we had our daughter. Um, then we came back down to Florida for a little while, um, had our son Beckett, um, and, uh, and then uh, lived here in Florida for a couple more years, and then they sent us out to San Diego, California. We were there for about three-ish, almost three years, um, and we just recently moved back here to Florida as my husband has decided to separate from the military after 15 years. Um, so... You know, it was, it's been a really a whirlwind. I've gotten to live in, in a couple of states and we've experienced so many deployments. And um, But uh, having our kids, uh, we had them very early and very soon after marriage. You know, we just kind of <laughs> jumped right in. And now um, we have McKinley, who is eight. She will be nine in November. Um, and she um, battles, uh, I don't say battles because I also have ADHD. Um, I would say that we get to live our life with this diagnosis. So she was given this diagnosis as well. Um, and then we have Beckett, who is about five and a half. He'll be six in uh, February. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> he's the one that has Down syndrome and kind of thrust me into this world that I never anticipated going into. Um, 
And now we live here in St. Augustine, Florida. It's Northeast Florida. Um, this is technically the oldest city in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, and we have two Labradoodles, Eleanor Roosevelt and Winston Churchill. Nice. Ella and Winnie, you may hear them bark. I'm really sorry. <laughs> um, they have to make sure that every lawn maintenance guy knows that this is their house and their territory. <laughs> Absolutely. Of course. Um, it's their job. So we are officially, now that we've moved home, decided to become a homeschooling family. So uh, we just kind of felt like with everything going on with COVID just this year, there was no way that I had the energy in me to... Um, get our family moved across the country, hit my husband a new job, and work with two children who have IEPs on top of, I just can't help anyone ask me questions about IEPs or help me with my child's education. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> it's not full enough. Let's do it. So um, we are working through it. We're about three weeks into homeschooling and loving it. Um, it's a challenge huge challenge, especially with children who are so far apart in age and in cognitive ability and knowledge base um, and different strengths and weaknesses and styles of learning. And so juggling with timing and naps and, oh, wait, now it's lunchtime. And uh, so that's been a, quite a challenge. Um, but we are figuring it out little by little. We have a fun little co-op here. Um, in our little neighborhood, um, and it's very nature-like, so we love to try to be outside when we're not melting, you know, <laughs> we're hoping for some sweater weather to come very soon, so we are enjoying the time here back with family and, you know, just getting to have this time with my kids and being thankful for it and not letting it be something that stresses me out has been a fun journey to be on. It's changing my brain chemistry a little bit, I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. So you mentioned that you're in a co-op and I apologize because I, I didn't prep you with this question ahead of time, but um, can you explain what that is? Because I, I think there's yeah. a lot of misconceptions about homeschooling because they think you're so socially isolated and oh that you're gosh. completely on your own. I, that's literally the only thing I knew was this, these kids aren't socialized. They're going to grow up as, you know, you know, um, you know, these kids that are just, you think of certain families on certain TV shows and that's what you have the image of in your mind. And I remember um, I, I got my degree from the university of North Florida in public relations and our capstone course had a, there was a, there was a guy in my class who had been homeschooled his entire life. And I actually didn't find that out until the end. We were, we were actually at graduation and I'm like, holy cow, because he was 21 years old, but really he was on the, uh, uh, like a maturity level and not knowledge level of a 30 something year old. He was just so well spoken, articulate, mm -hmm. and just so mature and responsible. And I'm like, wow. So that was my very first taste of meeting a person who had been homeschooled. So when we started digging into it, I um, met with a few other friends, um, just virtual people who you happen to meet in the down syndrome world. You sometimes will come across just people who you otherwise would not have normally met, you know, not even in person and may never meet in person. Mm -hmm. And they essentially walked me through like all this jargon and language. And I'm like, hold on, what about playtime? Who do we play with? Where do we find people? And she right, said, right. 
co-ops. They're called, it's cooperatives. Basically, it's groups of homeschooling families who meet up, who generally have the same ideals or styles of teaching, or they will meet to just do extracurriculars, or they'll meet just for play groups, or they meet um, you know, to do all your core classes, just as like a little mini group together. And it can range from, you know, um, a large group in separate classrooms of eight to 10 kids per classroom and parents are your teachers. Um, or it could just be a, a group of maybe 10 families of all various ages and you just meet once a week or twice a month and you do a science activity or you go on a field trip together or you meet up at the playground or just, you know, to have a community. Mm -hmm. And I've actually really enjoyed our co-op because there are the woman who runs it actually knows um, Catherine Witcher. And that's how I got to meet this woman. And she she was from Illinois as well. And she is a fellow uh, special needs mom and she is in our neighborhood. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it just kind of all (laughs) was just, it was serendipity. And so she has a 15 year old and a 12 year old and her 12 year old has um, dyslexia. And for a while we thought our daughter did as well. Um, And she just has, really thrown herself into supporting and teaching me how to teach. But it's been great for my eight and five-year-olds to play with 12 and 15-year-olds. And and even for them to play with younger children, they actually are engaging in real play like children should. You know, it isn't, you know, this, you know, they're not all weird and they're not nerds and unsocialized and uncultured we actually all met up at the alligator farm here in St. Augustine for our field trip last week and it was homeschool day. So the whole place was full of group cooperatives from all over Jacksonville and everyone there had like some of them had matching shirts. Uh, Obviously we're not that prepared, (laughs) but, but it was amazing because it was just kids that were engaging in just play. And you would see, I got, I snapped a photo of my daughter with the, with um, my friend's 15 year old daughter. And she was reading to her about hieroglyphics. They were reading and she was learning from the teenager and the teenager was learning a life skill of being patient with younger children and, you know, not just through a babysitting job, you know? Right, right. And so it's, it's all age groups learning how to be a functional and productive member of society. These are the kids that get to go to the grocery store and they learn how to behave properly. You know, we're not just, you know, always throwing an iPad in their face, you know, or, um, right, right. you know, we, we can go and we go out places into town and our groups are helping to nurture within, within each other. So parents will kind of help other parents. One of our other moms, she had an appointment today. So I'm like, well, just bring them on over the first grader, the kindergartner and the third grader will all do math together. And it was chaos, but some kids were like, Oh, what's that, that you're learning over there. That's kind of cool. Can I, can I do that too? It was same subject. We were all doing math, but it was all on their levels, but they were, teaching and helping one another and what's so great about having homeschooling is each learner can learn how they need to learn um and it's it's like that that space to okay you don't want to write down on your spelling test all right let's just do it verbally then you don't want to do your math and show your work on paper talk me through what's in your head really quick with and just use your words and then i will know okay you've got it 
We don't need to test on that. Obviously you understand. I'm not going to give you an F because you didn't show all your, you know what I mean? Right. Right. So finding that we can break those barriers and we don't have to follow these rules has been, that's the most fun part, but having a group where it's all ages and all strengths and weaknesses working together and teaching one another, how many 12 year old boys do you know? will notice that the little five-year-old boy that's a little bit different is struggling to keep up with everyone and they decide to stay behind to help them. How many 12-year-old boys behave that way? Right, and, I, right. and you can just awesome. tell it's because he has been raised in, in a home that was not only loving and kind and compassionate, but that he's been around more than just only other 12-year-old kids. He right, has been right. exposed to the world around him. And I think that's something that our education system, I mean, it obviously can't do it. We can't completely expose them to everything. So that's been the, a huge benefit of homeschooling. Just don't ask me how long I'm going to last with this. Cause I really can't tell you it's semester by semester at this point, come January, I could be saying, okay, bye kids <laughs> off to school. You go. Right. And, and long-term homeschooling, even short-term homeschooling is not for everyone. And, and I am not advocating for parents to take your kids out of public schools or even private schools Definitely and not. homeschool them. Definitely it was just not. an opportunity that, because Holly mentioned it, that, you know, I, that is a limit that is set though, sometimes um, by schools, but also by individuals that, because they do have misconceptions about homeschooling. Yeah. So, I'm not advocating for everybody to take your kid out. Public schools are wonderful and, and can be fabulous places. Um, and, and most of them, you know, are great places for your child to learn. But yeah. for individual families to be able to make that decision, um, you know, in Holly's case, you know, you just moved to a new area. You've got two kids with special needs and yeah. just it's getting all of that sort of worked out. And, and plus, because of this remote learning, um, I think that yeah. has, has helped parents understand a little bit more about what an education day might look like in a classroom setting. Which is and, exactly what happened with our daughter. That's exactly what happened. We realized yeah. that she was just zooming through her work in a couple hours and was like, all right, I'm done. Can I go outside and play now? And I'm like, oh, wow, she just finished everything you know, like that her teacher gathered together for her to do. Mm -hmm. And it's so great. Whereas Beckett with remote learning, he's like, um, why are we watching this horrible TV show called Zoom? <laughs> I see my friends, but they're not here. So I'm out of here, man. I'm right. Leave. And I knew that we would not, um, with the way the districts were here, I knew that at least just for this first little bit, he was going to just get more from me. We had the ability to do that. But I don't obviously have all the resources that Beckett may always need. So it's he's already in the system with the school district. At any moment, I could say, okay, it's time to go place him. Here's his IEP. Off you go, Beckett. And we get that luxury to do that. And then if there comes a year where he's struggling for a while and I need to pull him for a semester or two, we have the ability to do that. Um, and I think that that's something that a lot of parents kind of feel that they didn't know that they could do, um, have the ability to homeschool and you think that it might benefit them to get a small break at, before they go back so that they can be more successful in a public classroom or private classroom. Then that's also another benefit of homeschool that short term. All right, let's just 
let's just reset a little bit. Mm -hmm. Let's see if we can help you get back on track and then send them back. And essentially that's kind of my end goal because I can't do this till they're 18 and graduating from high school. There's just no way. Yeah. I've, I've known my husband has um, several aunts and uncles who have homeschooled his cousins and from kindergarten to high school and, you know, three and three and four and one family had six kids homeschooled them all. And that was my introduction to homeschool because like yourself, I grew up thinking that, you know, very similarly to what you had thought regarding homeschool. And I met his cousins and I was like, well, you all seem socially appropriate (laughs) and you all seem like, you know what you're talking about. And, you know, um, so yeah, I mean, that's just, it's an individual decision and, you know, schools have their benefit. I mean, there, there are pros and cons to both. You know, I, I absolutely think that that's true. So did you know when you were pregnant with Beckett that he was likely to be born with Down syndrome or did you find out when he was born? So um, because of my ADHD early on, they actually thought that they were going to diagnose me as bipolar as well, which, um, you know, years later was debunked, but there was a certain medicine that I was on um, that was safe. But they said, well, because you had been on this before, sometimes it can deplete your folate or something. So we just want to send you to high risk just to make sure, because sometimes it can cause cleft lip or cleft palate. So I'm like, okay go to high risk, we get the big fancy ultrasound and they happen to notice there's a little bit of extra fluid around his heart. And they said, we want to do an NIPT test, the non-invasive prenatal testing, commonly known as like maternity 21 test um, or the panorama test. They have different names. Um, And it came back as, you know, 99.998 percent chance that he was going to be born with trisomy 21. And we found that out right at the beginning of our last trimester. Um, and so I did, they, you know, they tried to push for an amnio, you know, that cause that t- original test is not a diagnostic. It's just mm-hmm. to check. I said, well, it's not going to matter at that point for me, for me, you know, our son was coming, whether we were ready or not for this new diagnosis. So I just said, well, we're just going to do our thing. His heart was stable. He was growing fine. Um, and then he was born at a week early and was nine pounds, one ounce and came flying out into this world, perfectly healthy. Um, you know, we have a couple little heart things that are actually hereditary from my side of the family. Um, but when he was born, you could see on his face, we knew, okay, yes. And then four weeks later, we got the blood work back that confirmed he has Down syndrome. So I had, you know, essentially 99.9% positivity that he was probably going to end up being, you know, a child that was born with this diagnosis. And we, it was highly unlikely that we were going to be one of that 0.01 false positives, you know, which there are. Um, so I was able to spend those three months to kind of wrap my head around it and get ready. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't until he was born and I saw his face that I felt like I could truly be ready and, and really get ready to go. And then when the doctor said four weeks, he's four weeks old, here's a blood work. Are you ready? And I'm like, let's do this. And so his pediatrician was one of the only ones that actually gave a positive ideal around down syndrome. And he just, he, he had been my pediatrician as well to just mm-hmm. give him insight. He, this, this man's like a hundred years old. <laughs> <laughs> he's incredible. He just said, 
I know you and I know that you are going to be the most incredible mom for this little boy. Like he is so perfect. Like he's so healthy and I've already sent in the referrals for all the therapies. Here's where we get started. I'm right here for you. Here's my cell number and he's going to be fine. It's That's gonna awesome. Be fine. You're going to be fine. We were actually at the dentist office when he called me and told me because we were getting Beckett's um, lip tie lasered. And I swear to you, those hygienists will never forget me. Because <laughs> I'm just sitting here, just, okay, Dr. Spearman, okay. <laughs> All right. And he's like, get yourself together. It's fine. It's going to be fine. Um, but of course, high risk was the, all those doctors, you know, the, the whole pregnancy, you know, we just want you to know, and, you know, he might not, you know, this, that, and the other, and here's a pamphlet, which is from like the eighties, you know, oh, yeah. and thank God they did still have one folder left of our local Johnson association with all of their info. So I reached out to them and they were literally there from day one. From him being born, we were meeting up and they were bringing us gifts, books, support. We were involved in, you know, social media pages. Um, then I found a couple other major organizations and just got plugged in and realized, wow, those high-risk doctors really need an update on their education because he is going to be able to go to school. He is going to be able to probably drive one day. He can live on his own. He doesn't have to live with me forever. He very well could get married one day. Like there's so many things that could. Right. And literally placing limits were them saying, we just want you to move forward with optimistic caution is what they use. That's the term. I'll never forget it. Move forward with optimistic caution. Oh. Like going to break him or something. But remain right. optimistic. You know, we don't, you know, we don't want you to feel bad about yourself. Um, so it was just a really, they, eventually they, cause they wanted me to come back for like weekly ultrasounds and nothing was changing. And so I eventually said, sorry, I'm not coming back here. My regular OB and midwife, they were like, if he's stable and fine, don't worry about it. And so we didn't, I just said, bye. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, I was, there was just nothing positive coming from that. And I knew that I needed to be around people who were going to give me positive stories and give me, you know, all right, what's the next step? What do we do to make sure he can do these things? So, right. I kind of, I, I might've answered a little more questions. That's no, that's perfectly fine. This kind of all flows together and that doesn't have to follow the format that I sent. It's just kind of, this is what we'll talk about. So, um, yeah. so I appreciate that because that is exactly what this show is about you know, is that people, I think they have good intentions in that they're trying to soften what they feel is going to be a blow to your system. Yes. And so they, they say things like, you know, your child probably won't, or some, I mean, I've heard the stories where people have been told you will not, your child will not. And then people have said, watch me, you know, <laughs> and that's this kid. <laughs> yeah. And so that's, that's what I'm trying to do is to, to get the exposure out there for people to see that, you know, those pamphlets from the eighties, the nineties, even the early two thousands yeah. are out of date uh, um, and uh. possibly stuff even in 2010 could be out of date because our 
world is changing so rapidly. People's perception is changing so rapidly. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I just always think about the caterpillar and that butterfly, you know, like. I love who, that. I love that analogy. Like that is just the coolest thing. I kind of feel like just through our current life stage of this transition and, and as, as a mom who, you know, just, I've got two kids that are exceptional and wanting to be the best that they can. And me thinking, this is not what I had planned, dude. Like, no, I didn't plan for down syndrome, but I definitely didn't plan for homeschooling and losing all that me time that I could have, or you think you're giving up this and that. And, but really this is just a, that, that cocoon process for us as parents or um, as educators or therapists or coaches that we are all kind of evolving through a really difficult life stage that's only just going to bring so much more beauty to everyone else once we have evolved to our point of, yes. of learning and understanding better. Yeah, absolutely. That That's very well put. So um, you said your daughter has an IEP. What is her IEP for? She has, so technically we had to put it under as um, other health, other health conditions or o, it's OHI or other health impairment It's worded differently everywhere. Um, but she tested because typically ADHD on its own only gets you maybe a 504 plan, but not an IEP. And we knew that she was struggling and I, and I fought hard. She was in a private school and in California, they had to send us to the school district for testing and they were the ones that had to do it. The private school didn't have to implement the IEP, but they did anyways. And we all worked together. Um, but her IEP is essentially for the ADHD, but it's mainly, hers is mainly accommodations and modifications throughout the day. Um, we're not really changing the curriculum that she's learning, just the way in which she's learning it. And then the way in which she's tested with it. Um, and then there were some pullouts where there was additional private tutoring that was done. Um, and just kind of to kind of work around that to help her with the way she was learning. Um, so she was really a lot less involved and in depth than Beckett's. <laughs> sure. the <laughs> she did have a BIP. She did have a behavior plan because sometimes with ADHD, impulse control and um, socializing with friends, that frontal lobe is just a little bit delayed. So when they were all in second grade, her impulse, her impulse control and her amygdala was really on a, the level of a first grader. So she would, was struggling with working around relationships with friends mm -hmm. and, and conflict and things like that. Um, and so there was a behavior plan in place for all the adults that were part of her school day. Here's how we can help redirect her. Here are some cues we can push to her. Or here's how we can involve all the kids in class that are her friends on a daily basis to help work through things so she doesn't feel singled out. Um, it was it was a really intricate, the behavior plan was really intricate, actually. It was, it was kind of fun to put together and, you know, as her mom, learn ways that I can help her even at home with her brother or with, you know, friends down the street or whatever. So yeah, that was really fun. And I really love that you said that they included her classmates because, you know, um, if you follow our mentor, Catherine, on her, um, on her page, 
you know, she puts that out there occasionally, or at least I think it's come from her. And it's also come from others too, but um, that, you know, we spend hours teaching our kids with the differences, how to get along, but we don't teach the typical normal kids how to get along with the kid with differences. Yep. So I'm, I'm really happy to hear that that school district understood that. And at least for that one piece, they were trying to include Mm -hmm. your daughter, but also really truly include everybody else into her world. Mm -hmm. Because ADHD is that, that it's a difficult diagnosis to really understand because it really, I mean, it kind of can be considered a spectrum similar to autism, because you can either be hyper or not hyper. You can be, you know, just have struggle with transitions or you can struggle to focus or, you know, there's so much more to it. And when I was growing up, it just, mental health was just, you just didn't talk about that. You went to your doctor and said a few key words, they'd give you this prescription and then off you went. There were no coping skills that you were learning. Right. So with her, we discussed it from early on. I knew when she was pretty young that she probably did have it. And so we became just the ADHD talking family and <laughs> talked about it all. And we told everybody and she'd be like, yeah, I have ADHD. Sometimes I, I, I can be like this, but I don't mean any harm. And she's just so sounds like an adult about it when she goes to explain it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been really cool to see that generationally, as we talk about it more and as we make things a little more um, easy to discourse over and um, simpler to understand for smaller children and make it not so scary and not so abnormal, because really, when you look at the vast majority of children, they all got something going on. Everybody. <laughs> even if it's something they end up growing out of, you know, these kids are wild, man. Like being online all day, every day, I'm like, wow, you guys have a lot of energy. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) How do we work on this? You know, I'm sure teachers could just go around the room and be like, yes, this kid needs this, this kid needs that, this kid needs this. But then the kids aren't really explained that to you. They'd have no idea why they feel the way they feel or think the way they think. And so it's been fun for me to say McKinley, guess what? Mommy knows exactly what you're thinking right now because I can see your hamster turning. And this is exactly how mommy's brain works too. And she's like, really? And I'll say something and she'll be like, how did you know? (laughs) It's some sort of superpower, I guess. I don't know. I don't know, kid. It's ADHD is super cool in our house. We embrace it. And we embrace Down syndrome too. And we embrace all those differences And I think that because of that, when kids do come here, they're like, oh, wow, we can like talk about this. We can say these are not like bad words to say. And in this house, no. And we were able to do that when Beckett was in school, too. When he was in an inclusive blended classroom, we were able to educate a lot of families, a lot of parents who weren't really sure what to tell their little ones. Why can't Beckett? you know, talk as much. Uh, why can't Beckett pedal the tricycle as fast as we can or catch up? Why does he, you know, elope and have all these other behaviors? And it was the parents saying, what do we say? How do we explain this to our children? And so as the parent, and then as a, you know, as an IEP coach, I was able to jump in and educate parents educate kids on some days and educate teachers. This is what you say to these young children. This is how, 
we have this conversation. And I, ca- I had, I can't even tell you how many parents by the end of the year say, you guys were such a blessing for my child. I'm so thankful that my typical child was in Beckett's class this year. We've all learned so much. I hope that we get more Beckett's in the future. And it's, that's the, that's the norm. It's not normal to have parents say, well, your kid's going to bring my kid back. Your kid's going to make mine not learn fast enough. The vast majority of parents really do care more about who they, their kids are as a person over anything else. Mm -hmm. And that is the beauty of inclusion, which is continuing to fight for, you know, even now, especially during COVID. So yeah, that that's such a beautiful story. I don't I have tears in my eyes and I was getting chills when you were talking about the parents telling you how thankful that they were, that they've realized yeah. how blessed we can be when we involve everybody and when we like you said, when we include everybody. And what a sad state it is in our society that that doesn't just naturally happen. Um, and again, that's, you know, another focus or another reason for this is to try to break down those barriers and try to, you know, remind people or, or I don't even know if it's remind, if it's just truly tell them whoever it is, is a person first. Yeah. You know, get to know them. Every person on the planet has unique characteristics and qualities and attributes and we, we shouldn't disregard someone because one of those is so very different than ours. Right. Or anything that we have been familiar with in the past. And I think it starts really at an early age as well, because they are all so um, children, especially like at the preschool level, they were all so forgiving of whenever Beckett would make a mess up, you know, or he would Mm -hmm. accidentally, you know, push or shove or, you know, swipe someone else's coloring page off a table. They'd be like, Oh, it's okay, Beckett. And they were, they were learning like that patience and acceptance at such an early age. You know, I would get, I had one mom message me and I will never forget this family. And I hope that Beckett one day will be able to see this, this little boy again, but they became such close buddies that when Beckett would struggle to just to close his zip, his like lunchbox, this little boy was always front and center, ready to like, here, Beckett, let me help you. He'd carry his lunchbox for him. He would hold Beckett's hand and then he'd tell the teacher, hold on, wait, Beckett can probably do this by himself now. And was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. A little four-year-old advocate. And I'm telling you, this child made me just weep at least once a week at the stories that I would see. And every day I'd see this little boy trailing at the back of the line with Beckett. And of course, a teacher nearby. But he would always be next to him during, you know, arts and crafts time or during centers. And he'd be helping him cut his paper for him. And then, you know, being that peer model. But that little boy probably learned more from Beckett than Beckett ever would have just being with him alone. You know, right. like that, that is a child that experienced difference. And is that's going to go with him forever. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be a teenager in high school, you know, using ugly terminology and being, ex, you know, exclusive, that's going to be a child that's going to continue to grow up and include others. 
And we need more of that to happen really, really, really early on as early as possible. So getting Beckett out of the contained classroom and into the class where he was around other peers and there was exposure there, that, that is just, I cannot emphasize it enough because it's probably more helping the inclusion and the, and the understanding for others than, than it is even our own kid. Right. And that is for me, something that's incredibly priceless and is what's needed more. We need more of it. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I, I also love the fact that your daughter is advocating already, like you said, you know, where she's walking around saying, well, I have ADHD and, you know, I might do this or I might do that. And the fact that your family is willing to discuss it um, and the, the limits that it sounds like other families have on their kids, because when they come to your house, they're like, we can talk about that. It's not, yeah. it's not bad if we talk about that. Yeah. You know, I mean, sometimes it's uncomfortable because as adults, we don't know all the answers. Right. And so we just say, well, you know, we, we don't, we don't bring that up. We don't talk about that. You know, um, pretty much as, say, sorry, I really don't know. Mommy doesn't know. I'll get back to you on that. And she'll be like, really? You don't <laughs> and I think that is that right there is something we have to tell our kids too. you know, just like we have to be apologetic when we make mistakes Mm-hmm. We are not the all-knowing beings, you know, we are not perfect. And I think that that is that healthy balance and kids are a lot more willing to learn from adults who are honest than the adults who just want to, who just don't just move along, you know? Right. Yeah. I, that's been my experience most definitely. Um, and so I'm glad to hear that I'm not the only one that has had that experience. I'm so, sure she's probably wishing someday as mom, can we please stop talking about this? <laughs> So, um, being in the military, I know my husband was, um, I was part of, I was a military spouse for seven years. So you were a military spouse for what, 10, 12 years. years, So where my husband was stationed and we only really had one, I met him and he had just come to the area where we met. And so he was there for a few years, we married, and then we moved to a different station. That family, we were overseas at that time that area, those people became our support system. Yeah. Um, and I imagine, you know, I, I've heard from, from more veterans, you know, that have made more moves than we did in the military, that, that the, what we had at that particular base isn't always the case, but to the depth, I guess, that it was. But most military bases, you all do become a, a sort of support system, a sort of family for each other. With... all the moves that you've made and with your kids having special needs, have there been any situations where you felt like either the military itself had put a limit on your family and that you busted through that, or that maybe the school systems in some of the different assignments had put limits on your kids? Um, So I would definitely say that, you know, when you when you first initially go to a new duty station, even if you didn't have a child that was any diff- had any differences, you have to leave the house. You have to. They're not going to come banging on your door with pies and cookies. And say welcome. Yeah. Nice Those things are gone. <laughs> you know, like there's even and even before COVID, you know, like it just wasn't. And we even lived in military housing when we were in California. 
Um, and it took a while for us to even get to know the people who we were sharing a wall with because we were living in, you know, it was multifamily housing. Right. Um, and we, our kids would be literally on the backyard together and there would be just a little thin fence covering it. And it took a couple of months for everyone to finally like reach over and shake someone's hand. Like, you know, you have to, you have to be able to jump out and you have to be able to step out. And that was hard for me because as military spouses, we tend to get a little prideful. We don't like asking for help. We don't like it when we can't feel like we can't take it and we need some help. And it's, it sometimes can be the learning of to putting your pride away and getting some humility um, and, and building that support system. But I would say that, you know, in California, one of the few things that, um, that I felt like they were getting right was that they had a lot of services for people with disabilities, um, even outside of the school system. Um, and so we were able to get a lot of services for him and a lot of like financial support from the state, which helped us tremendously because my husband was enlisted and, you know, we were a single income. I couldn't work because of, you know, him and, you know, we have another child and we were going to be moving soon. It's very difficult for, you know, spouses in the military to gain, you know, good employment, which Off is base, a whole yeah. TED talk all on its own. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, even as someone that has a four-year degree and, and all this experience, and I am was thinking, I'm sitting here wasting, um, but, um, you know, having that extra income was a need because we he was just enlisted. We didn't really have the resources. So our pay was very minimal and we, you know, only could go so far. And I think for military families that have kids with special needs that are enlisted, that is a huge barrier. Financial supports to be able to pay for an advocate, to be able to pay for those extra therapies that TRICARE won't always cover because TRICARE doesn't cover ABA for Down syndrome, only mm -hmm. if you have an autism diagnosis, which is a huge issue that I wish I could go and lobby for on a daily basis. So Beckett ended up getting ABA because of the insurance plan through the state of California. Well, it doesn't work that way in Florida. Now we don't have ABA anymore. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah, ABA is a great, a great program. I've used that we miss um, it so much. Yeah, I've used that with someone at our house five days a week. And she was, she was a member of our team. She was a member of our family. She was family and right. that was a huge need, but with the military and how, what, you know, with insurance coverage and then with financial coverage that just wasn't available unless you were in the right place. Um, and so I think it really comes down to the, the struggle of, all right, what state am I in? Assuming you're in the United States where you're stationed, you know, what are the rules for insurance here? What are the waiver programs for Medicaid or in California, it's Medi-Cal. What are the different policies for the district that I'm in? Because they vary so significantly. So finding a group of people that you could plug in with that were also in your tribe, you know, that were had children that were different and that were also there, that were also military, you had to really search and dig and reach out and step across that fear of, of reaching out to people. Um, because otherwise they don't really give you much. I mean, there's the EFMP program, the exceptional family member program. Um, and within the Navy, they offer, based on whatever ranking you get with your child's disability, that you get X amount of respite hours. 
So we did get 40 hours a month of respite care through, you know, an agency. And when we finally found our guardian angel respite provider, and then when we go over our 40 hours a month, I'm like, here's cash. Here's some cash. Just come help me, please. And so she became, you know, essentially his other mother, you know, my kids, other, other mom, and she was there and experienced. And so that was a huge thing that the military helps with, but like the Marines, their EFMP respite program is completely different. And so I would have, I had another friend who had, who sung with Down syndrome. She's a fellow IEP coach. We did the same mentorship at the same time. And, um, our sons are just a few months apart and they got zero respite hours. Um, He had even more health issues, but so each branch has different rankings. And so that is a huge thing that, is not easily understood. Right. They don't really explain that to you. There isn't a pamphlet. Here's all the information you need to know for each branch of the military based on your child's diagnosis and needs. You have to literally start researching insurance codes and rules and extra resources. They don't just hand that out, not even case workers wow. through the program of, for EFMP. So I had to really do a lot of digging and you had, I had to become an expert researcher. And I think that's a massive limit because not every parent knows that that exists. And there's, it's essentially word of mouth that some of these programs are, are learned about additional TRICARE coverage for just special needs, just EFMP. That is a thing people didn't know. I didn't know someone had to tell me. So I think that's a massive issue within the military community over spanning across every branch. Um, and, and then now as we move to my husband is going to be finding out what his disability rating is, you know, he's out of the military, his body is torn to shreds mm-hmm. and we anticipate we're probably going to get hundred percent disability. But with that comes another type of insurance coverage that we mm-hmm. can have. And it's a whole new ball game that I'm having to open up. And I don't just get to call TRICARE and ask a question. There's another number and another number and another number. And it's just like you become the expert researcher and you find fellow families who are in a similar place and you, and you bounce off of one another and through social media, through um, community groups, you have to jump up and you have to get out there. And that was very hard to do because by nature, military spouses are as tough as it gets, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> we might be a little biased, um, but I agree with you. <laughs> so one of our viewers said, it's hard to always be fighting for your loved one. Keep it up. So she's, she's yes. sending you some encouragement. Um, I didn't and- get these bags and wrinkles over nothing. <laughs> And, and my experience as a military spouse, um, we didn't have our child while he was still in the military. So I didn't have to go through any of that sort of stuff. Um, but so I did want to, there was a couple things that you said that I just kind of want to clarify for people. So the reason it's difficult for military spouses to get jobs at new stations is because employers look for someone long-term and they know or they assume that if you're in the military or your spouse is in the military, that you're going to be moving after a couple to three years, some four, but I think for most part, usually it's a, it's a two to four year assignment. Um, So I wanted to to explain why it's difficult for spouses to get positions. And then secondly, you mentioned respite care. And for anyone who doesn't know what respite care is, 
it's just, I mean, she said she was in the Navy, got 40 hours a week or 40 hours a month. So it's about 10 hours a week. Um, that person is just there to help to give the, the family a little bit of a break. Um, it could be a break in helping with chores around the house, getting stuff done. It could be that they watch the child completely while you go grocery shopping or you go to your own doctor's appointment or whatever it is. But even within that, you probably had limitations were, of how you could use it. Of, there were lots of rules. You know, they couldn't do baths or they, well, they could do baths, but they couldn't take them even to the backyard to play in like the kiddie pool. Technically, they weren't supposed to drive them anywhere, though we, um, you know, did kind of break those rules because we all had SeaWorld passes. And she's like, I'm taking him to SeaWorld today because we live five minutes away. I'm like, OK, bye. Yeah. See you later, alligator. Here's your car seat. See ya. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but there are a lot of limitations with that. But, yeah, I mean, it's um, you, you find your provider who you trust. Um, and, it, and it took a few frogs before we found our princess charming. Yeah. Um, and she was wonderful. And to this day, she'll text me almost every other day. How's Beckett doing? Can we FaceTime? You know, I'm trying to figure out when I can come out there to see you guys. And they become your Absolutely. literal respite. They become your solace. They become the person who you can count on. Frankly, she was more help than my husband was when he would come home from deployments. I'm like, just let Brenda do it. Just let her do it. <laughs> just go away. Just let her handle it. And, really and I and I chuckle. And I mean, we're kind of being silly about it. But I mean, if you really think about it, she was there every day. She knew the routine. She she knew the doctors. She knew the places that you would go. She knew all that information because she had been there every day. Um, and, and I also want to say um, thank you for your husband's service. I know I've told you that before, but um, this person does well. She just wants, I say, thank you for your family service. And I will be praying for your husband and you too, as you continue your fight. Thank you, um, and Fran made another comment that networking and knowing you're not alone is so important. Oh, um, that's the key. You, there would be, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how people would survive. I don't know how we would survive if we didn't have... God, I mean, just think about the people, the, the families that had children with special needs in the 70s, 80s, even in the 90s, right. that were, they were also military. There was no social media then. Right. You, know, you had the yellow pages. There was yep. this the inclusion and, and this their advocacy. That just wasn't a thing. Imagine how isolated. And, and I just think I, I literally will think to those families and those trailblazing parents and just would kiss their feet and thank them every day for the work that they did, the groundwork that they laid, because without that, and we, we would not have what we have now. We would right. not have, I mean, look at, I mean, look at this. We're thousands of miles apart and we're able to share and, and give that support and that knowledge because that's only going to make our lives better, but also our children's lives better. And then those, people who come after us. Imagine what life will be like for everyone in 20 or 30 years from now. Yeah. I'm just, I get excited thinking about that, all the work that is being done now. Yeah. And, and, and what um, Catherine, our mentor started, you know, and, and reaching out and teaching, you know, these people all across the country to be yeah. master IEP coaches and to try to make special education even better and to try to get everybody, you know, cooperating and collaborating with one another and, um, you know, being that positive force um, for everyone. And so for anybody who 
um, is is wondering, um, Holly and I have not met in person. Um, no. In fact, this is the longest conversation she and I have ever had with each other. <laughs> um, we have chatted back and forth, but when um, she and I became acquainted, it was through the Master IEP Coach Program. And um, just some of the stuff that she shared, I just really connected with her. And so I reached out to her and um, hope we had hoped to be able to meet this past summer. Um, but then, you know, COVID happened and things happened and um, that didn't pan out. So um, we've chatted back and forth via text, but never had <laughs> this kind of a conversation. So I am learning like everyone wait. else. One day we will all get to meet one another and we're just going to embrace and it's going to be a great day. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so I try to keep these um, under an hour because of I'm not the great editor of, of videos. And so if I keep it under an hour, it's easy to transfer. So we have about five minutes left. Is there anything that you would like to, to talk about or say that hasn't been covered? Um, <sighs> that was the one thing I didn't completely prepare for in my little jot down notes in my brain. <laughs> um, you know, I think that... To, to reiterate on opening the conversation up with our children is, is again, like, I just, I cannot emphasize that enough. And when you, when you, when you see something that might be a little bit different in your kids, you know, it, it's, it's always, it's always better to talk about it. It's always better to include them in the conversation um, and, um, and, and normalize that and encourage them to go out into the world and to normalize that as well. Um, but then also, I just think that when it when it comes to COVID right now, going with whatever your gut is telling you as a, as a parent, as a parent trying to figure out, all right, should I homeschool? I think I might want to put my head in the oven if I have to do that because I just <laughs> like I think that it just I might die, you know. Or you know, if I send them to school, oh my gosh, I'm so fearful. They have higher you know actual physical medical needs. You know, Beckett is a tank and doesn't catch very easily, but many children with Down syndrome do. Many children with other special issues do. It's scary, you know, mm -hmm. so understanding that right now there really is no one size fits all perfect answer for anything. And none of no choice you make now is permanent. That is like the one thing I have to just remind everyone. If you pull them and say, hey, let's try to homeschool, you could last all of two weeks and say, you know what? I can't do this. It's not permanent. Hold them back. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. It's all like moldable clay, our kids' education. And that's what IEPs are for. It's individualized, just like homeschool is individualized. And so just remember that any decision you make for placement, for accommodations, that IEP is a fluid document. It can be changed at any minute, just in the way that the placement of one classroom to one living room can go. It's never permanent. It's all trial and error and don't kick yourself for it because it's not going to affect them in the long run. You're just doing your best to find what works. And I, and I think that that is probably what needs to be nailed into my brain. Remember Holly, this isn't permanent that you can send them anywhere at any time and we'll figure it out because that's right. what we do. Yeah. That's and that, and that brings it kind of back to the, you know, the caterpillar and the butterfly, because what we're doing today might not be what we're doing tomorrow. What we look like today might not be what we look like tomorrow. And exactly. so um, I think that that was a that was a great wrap up for that. Um, so, Holly, thank you so much for thank being with for me today. Me. I'm, I'm 
so honored and, and I hope that this helps somebody out there. Somebody. I, I think and it will reach out to me. I am, I'm an easy person to get in touch with. So I, I assume that you'll link all my info in there. If people need to. Oh yeah. Out. I didn't. I, I mean, is there, um, because your master IP coach business hasn't technically, yeah, it's, I have a, I have a Instagram page for that. Um, but, the, but my other Instagram page is just Ms. Bizhop. It's a lot easier to get a hold of me. It's M Z and then B I Z H O P. Um, but, um, um, just type that in there and find me. I have links for all of our other pages. Beckett also has a little Instagram page. Um, so everything is linked through there. So you can just find me on Instagram at Ms. Bizhop and, um, and reach out. It is public. It's a public page. I'm always open to chat with everybody and, um, help anyone out. If you want to reach out at all, I'm an open book, literally open. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, um, I will try to put that in the, the chat comments. Um, so it will be with this even on the replay. So thank you for those who joined us today and for your comments, um, on Friday, I, Friday with Fran, um, Fran actually popped on here a little bit ago. Um, I don't know what, what Fran and I are going to be talking about on Friday. We really haven't figured that out. And um, sadly, we often do that at last minute. We'll go, oh, okay, let's talk about this. Let's it has something up. something to do with special education, but, you know, um, not, not always terribly planned much ahead of time. Um, and then next Tuesday on hashtag no limits, I will be talking with Linda, Lind Linda Leinstra, um, another person who went through the master IEP coach training. She's in New Jersey. And um, we're just gonna kind of be going over some basic type IEP things that probably a lot of parents don't know. Um, so that'll be great for you all to tune into. So again, Holly, thank you. Um, bless you on your day. Thank you for you and your husband's service because it's not just the military member who serves, it is also definitely the spouse and especially in your situations of deployment, which we didn't even really talk about, um, you know, how, how you had to jump into that role and I'm sure limitations yeah. that maybe you yourself had put on, um, but that society kinds of puts on people when they're, their spouse is away at work. So oh, maybe yeah. we'll have Holly back and talk about that another day. I would um, love to. Or Thank we'll you. talk about the whole military and the fact that they don't have a great way of disseminating information. <laughs> I can have a good talk on that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm sure it, lots of military members could join in on that one. Most definitely. Oh, yeah. All right. Thanks, Thanks guys. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Thank you. Bye.